For this story, I'd like to take you back to an earlier era of Star Wars history. The year is 2017. It's the 40th anniversary of Star Wars' arrival in theaters and the beginning of its massive influence on filmmaking, the movie industry, the toy industry, and on popular culture. The year also marks the 50th anniversary of Hake's Auctions, a Pennsylvania-based auction house that specializes in Americana artifacts from the 20th century. On this particular Thursday evening, November 16th, 2017 to be exact, the countdown clock is winding down on Hake's Catalog Auction number 222. The items presented are worthy of the attention they've received from the Star Wars collecting community and from a larger swath of general enthusiasts. Where they would have been lumped in with other toys of the era, there is now a section of the catalog devoted specifically to Star Wars memorabilia. In it are the action figures, vehicles, and playsets from the 1970s and 1980s. They are Kenner creations, ones that stir the imaginations of children and adults, and whose impact has lasted for decades. The auction features some of the earliest carded figures, known as 12-backs due to the number of characters promoted on the back of the card. And they cover examples from the 1977 film, as well as from the 1980s sequel, The Empire Strikes Back, 1983's Return of the Jedi, and the three series at the end of the Kenner line, 1985's Power of the Force, and the Droids and Ewoks animated shows. The toys are still sealed and were curated over more than a decade by one owner with an eye for quality. Each has been sealed in acrylic and was graded by the toy grading company Action Figure Authority, known to collectors as AFA. Some pieces, like the 12-back Luke, is the highest graded example in existence. In addition to the production pieces, the auction contains a trove of pre-production items used in the making of the toys. A hand-painted resin hard copy of the Power of the Force Anakin Skywalker figure is a topic of discussion within the collecting community, along with Revenge of the Jedi proof cards and some unproduced Power of the Force versions of familiar figures. A month before Ryan Johnson's Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi premiered in theaters, Hakes introduced the inaugural offering from the Russell Branton Collection. This is a look at the November 2017 auction that generated record prices for Star Wars action figures and a greater awareness among a much wider audience. This is the story behind one of the highest quality Star Wars collections on the planet and how it changed the perception of Star Wars collectibles forever. This is the moment where hundreds of items at the highest quality and desirability suddenly became available to purchase. This may help to explain why someone paid $50,000 for a Luke Skywalker. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Star Wars, prototypes and production. 
with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, Like many of us, Russell Branton grew up as a Star Wars fan. In an interview with the Overstreet Price Guide to Star Wars Collectibles, Branton shared his earliest connection to the film and its characters. He said, When I was a young boy, I saw Star Wars for the first time with my older brother. I was starstruck from the very beginning when they blew the blast door and the stormtroopers came through and were firing. It was like magic to me. Seeing Darth Vader... I was hooked ever since. I think I've been a Star Wars fan as far back as I can remember, probably since the age of five or six years old. His brother Randy, diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, passed away at the age of 13. In addition to being an exciting and beloved property, Star Wars became immeasurably linked to the memory of his brother and the days they had together as children. As an adult, Branton never intended on collecting the toys of his youth. However, in 2002, he and his wife attended San Diego Comic-Con, and he stumbled upon a figure he never had as a child. It was the rare vinyl cape Jawa, and it was still sealed on its original 12-back card. The figure was also graded by AFA, which at the time was also a rarity. Grading and authenticating action figures was in its infancy, but AFA had set up a booth at that particular Comic-Con and after speaking with representatives from the company about the purpose and process of grading, Branton decided to follow the path initiated by that vinyl cape Jawa, and he began his hunt for the rest of the Twelvebacks. Early on, Branton set a standard of quality he targeted when purchasing items. He aimed to get sealed, unopened figures, and he selected ones that were graded or would grade at an 80 or higher out of a score of 100. But like many collectors today, he gravitated toward anything graded at an 85 or a 90. The quest for quality takes time. As someone who has collected in a similar manner, I can tell you that this approach certainly adds a challenge to obtaining even the most common figures. While it may be somewhat easy to find a particular Return of the Jedi carded figure, Landing one that has survived the wear and tear of the passing decades and still remains as case-fresh as the year it arrived at retail makes the hunt more exciting. And it stresses the importance of patience, as collecting becomes less of a sprint and more of a marathon. In those early days, Russell Branton's first goal was to obtain a graded carded example of every figure that appeared on a Star Wars card. As his interest expanded to the 20 and 21 back figures, he set his sights on the characters and vehicles from The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi as well. Branton worked with a handful of sources who were able to find the figures in the condition he desired. One of those sources was Brian's Toys, a site that sold graded action figures. And for the highest quality figures, ones with a 95 grade, or for certain rare prototypes, Branton would pay a premium. Branton accumulated his collection over the span of 12 or 13 years. His ultimate goal was to collect anything relating to the action figure line that Kenner produced. And when he would find a figure he already had but was in better condition, 
he would trade up. According to James Gallo, who was a consultant for Hakes for the Star Wars segment of the catalog, Branton did the bulk of his purchasing between 2008 and 2010. According to an interview with the e-newsletter Scoop, Branton estimated he'd acquired between 700 and 800 Star Wars Kenner items. Beyond the cumulative quality of his collection, Branton managed to put together some truly impressive runs that would be very difficult and very costly today. Branton completed a run of 16 incredibly rare three-pack sets from Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, as well as their variants. At the time of the auction, the publication Antique Toy World estimated that five complete sets existed. Branton's most notable accomplishment at the time was bringing together a special trio of carded figures, those wielding double telescoping lightsabers. Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, and Obi-Wan Kenobi were the figures that bore the early accessory before it was quickly changed to a single telescoping saber for a wider release at retail. And while the Lukes are the most common of the three, a carded version commands a hefty price. The Vader and the Obi-Wan are exceptionally rare, and only a few of each have surfaced. And when it came to prototypes, Branton had added some of the most iconic Kenner pieces coveted by collectors. He owned a rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype figure, one that had skyrocketed both in interest and in value since the start of the Disney era of Star Wars. And he had acquired a full run of the Revenge of the Jedi proof cards, featuring the first 50 characters and the early title for the final film in the trilogy. After moving from California to Arizona over a decade ago, Russell Brandon came to a similar collector's crossroads that our friend Tad Moore reached last year. Instead of displaying his collection in his new home, the items sat in boxes for a year, and Brandon realized he was likely ready to move on from collecting Star Wars figures. His hope was that he would someday pass along his cherished items to his children— but they did not seem to have the same attachment to the franchise. Branton decided to part with his entire collection, putting the proceeds into his children's college funds and into investments he'd pursue in the next phase of his life. Interestingly, in the interview with Scoop, Branton admitted his plan had always been to complete a full Kenner run and to sell it when he felt the time was right. And while collecting was likely an enjoyable experience for him, he was one of the few collectors who was able to envision an end to his pursuits while he was still collecting. Once he completed his goal, keeping those items largely meant less to him, and he knew he would move on to something else. In March of 2017, Hake's Auctions picked up the entire collection in Arizona and transported it back to Pennsylvania. Dealing with such a massive collection, the auction house decided to split it into segments. Each segment would be featured in a Star Wars section of the auction's catalog, beginning with auction number 222. And over the next two years, a selection of Branton's items would appear in six of the major Hakes auctions. In July of 2017, to build anticipation for the first auction, Hake showcased some of the key figures at Comic-Con in San Diego. 
At the front of the Hakes booth, nine items from Russell Branton's collection were presented in a tall, narrow glass display case. On the top shelf was arguably the premier item from Branton's collection, the L-slot rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype. It was slated for the March 2018 auction, but its presence during the Comic-Con weekend generated a lot of foot traffic to the Hakes booth. The figure was cased in an oversized acrylic, which held the blue-gray unpainted figure, the iconic red rocket, and the 2005 Certificate of Authenticity, signed by collectible investment brokerages Tom Derby. The prototype had been graded at an 85, and was sure to ignite a bidding war in a future auction. Next to it was the Empire Strikes Back Bespin Alliance 3-pack set. Featuring the Bespin security guard, Lando Calrissian, and Luke Skywalker, it was likely the rarest and most valuable among the 3-packs. The three double-telescoping carded figures were perched on the second shelf. The Luke had an estimate of twenty dollars to $35,000. The Obi-Wan and the Darth Vader had estimates of $35,000 to $50,000 each. The third shelf contained the highest-graded 12-back Princess Leia in existence, at an AFA 95. And next to it was Branton's first purchase from 2002, his vinyl Cape Jawa, graded at an 85. Each was estimated to sell in the ten dollars to $20,000 range over the next year. The fourth and final shelf held two more heavyweights from the Kenner line. On the left was a carded Power of the Force yak face. This was the rarer and more desirable Canadian version, whose design matched that of the domestic Kenner Power of the Force figures. And to the right was one of the most popular Revenge of the Jedi proof cards, the Boba Fett. Both items carried AFA 85 grades and were listed to sell in the five dollars to $10,000 range. Hake's production manager Todd Sheffer spoke about the overall reaction of the Comic-Con crowd toward the items presented that weekend. He said, There are two pieces that I think will be of particular interest, and it'll be two different kinds of collectors. The double-telescoping lightsaber Obi-Wan Kenobi. It looks like the sky's going to be the limit on that, and there will be collectors willing to pay whatever it takes to get that. The rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype is sort of the holy grail for the general collector who wants that kind of thing. I see that also going for some amazing price at the end. After Comic-Con concluded, 50 pieces from the Russell Branton collection were transported to Baltimore, Maryland, where they were displayed at Jeppy's Entertainment Museum. The marketing and promotional blitz continued on Facebook and on social media, where Hakes highlighted many of the individual items in the upcoming November auction. Hakes viewed the Russell Branton collection as a premium offering whose run could conservatively command more than a million dollars. In an interview with Central Pennsylvania's Fox 43, Todd Sheffer described it as an investment-grade collection, whose audience wasn't limited to toy collectors. Instead, Sheffer speculated, the buyers would be of a higher caliber aiming for high-end Star Wars toy memorabilia in the same way deep-pocketed sports enthusiasts or generalized collectors would target a Mickey Mantle rookie card. Many of these Star Wars items were showcase-worthy pieces. They were becoming a new form of a status symbol, one that connected the excitement and the desires of childhood to the luxuries of being able to spend the most to bring them home. 
Slowly, new audiences were seeing the toys as something new to pursue. If the Force was strong with Luke, Obi-Wan, and Yoda, nostalgia would be the invisible guide propelling collectors to bid. And with the level of rarity in both the condition of the item and the item itself, nostalgia would likely be the key in producing record-setting realized prices. Hakes kicked off the inaugural offering of the Russell Branton Collection in the November 2017 auction. Auction number 222 featured 61 pieces from Branton's collection in its debut. And the team at Hakes, aided by James Gallo and Branton himself, segmented the rest of the collection into groupings for future catalog auctions, making sure each one had its share of headline-grabbing pieces to continue the momentum. The top-selling item in Catalog 222 was not a Star Wars item. Rather, it was the 1962 comic Amazing Fantasy No. 15, notable for introducing the world to Spider-Man. The comic, graded as 7.5, reached the midpoint of its estimate, ending at $140,000. However, the Star Wars items from Branton's collection garnered more attention, and with good reason. Many general collectors were shocked to see two of the Star Wars items land at the number two and three spots on Hake's top sellers list for November. The double-telescoping Obi-Wan Kenobi sold for $76,700, including the 18% buyer's premium. The figure reached the low end of its estimate of $75,000 to $100,000. On the recommendation of toy dealers, Hakes had doubled the estimate in the months following the figure's appearance at Comic-Con. Earlier that year, a similar example sold for a six-figure sum, but I believe this was through a private sale and not in a public auction. And the fact that Branton's 12-back-A Obi-Wan had graded an 80 likely kept it from crossing the $100,000 mark. After the auction ended, Hake's president Alex Winter announced that the double-telescoping Obi-Wan had earned the title of being the most expensive production action figure sold at auction. The 12-back C Luke Skywalker figure was the third highest-selling item in the entire Hakes auction. Being the highest-graded example in existence at an AFA 95, the Hakes team and many in the collecting community expected it to sell for a premium. But the fact that it sold for $50,000, basically two and a half times the high end of its estimate, shocked everyone. The success of the Luke illustrated two main points to a general audience. One, that Star Wars figures were quickly becoming hot properties, on a scale that few outside of the collecting community had realized. And two, that like certain stocks, Star Wars memorabilia may have been largely undervalued, containing ample room to appreciate and far beyond what experts had estimated. When something that has developed a deep sense of nostalgia over decades suddenly feels fresh and exciting again, even casual audiences sit up and pay attention. And when a number of these familiar items have the potential to reward their owners with paydays in the thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, a frenzied gold rush begins.
what were some of the other notable items in the inaugural offering from the Russell Branton collection? And how did they perform? The hand-painted Dynacast hard copy of the Power of the Force Anakin Skywalker figure skyrocketed past its original estimate of ten dollars to $20,000. It sold for almost $35,000. In the two or three years leading up to the auction, a wave of new or former Star Wars collectors had entered the hobby. Many were enticed by prototypes and pre-production items, as they represented a previously unexplored region of collecting and items like hard copies represented some of the earliest iterations of figures collectors owned during the original era of Star Wars. The rarity, the connection to the Kenner line and its history, these were factors that had boosted the pre-production market between the releases of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. And in the case of the Anakin, the chance to own a hand-painted prototype came at a very high cost. And while collectors may have scoffed at the realized price in November of 2017, its value has risen considerably, possibly doubling over the past seven years. Three of Russell Branton's three-pack figure sets were offered in Auction 222. The Star Wars Creature Set and the Empire Strikes Back Bespin Set each sold for $5,000. But the Imperial Forces Set, which featured Bosk, IG-88, and an Imperial Snowtrooper surprised bidders and collectors. The Imperial Forces set brushed the high end of its estimate with a hammer price of more than $17,000. The selection of Star Wars proof cards also appealed to collectors in a big way. Three of the revenge proofs from Branton's set were offered, with a Bespin Han Solo and a Snowtrooper each selling in the $1,600 range. The Darth Vader, which may be the most popular revenge-proof character after Boba Fett, sold for more than $4,000. And according to collector Pete Fitzke, one of the best deals of the day may have come in the form of a proof. In a blog post on the Star Wars Collector's Archive site covering the auction, Fitzke highlighted the power of the Force Lando Calrissian, as it never made it into production. This particular proof was also hand-cut from a larger sheet and was printed without the backer displaying the 92 figures from the line. And at a final auction price of $5,700 for an unproduced proof of a major trilogy character, Pete's value call was correct. If the Lando proof flew under the radar, the extremely rare Empire Strikes Back Stormtrooper proof certainly outperformed the rest. Blowing past the high end of its $5,000 estimate, the 31B proof showcasing one of the original 12 figures and graded at a 90 sold for more than $8,000 with the buyer's premium. A carded Palatoy Tri-Logo Boba Fett graded at an 80 also beat its estimate, selling for over $11,000. The Tri-Logo Fett is notoriously difficult to obtain and the size and fragile nature of the bubble makes finding one in good condition even harder. The final price of the original TIE Fighter vehicle was another surprise. Sealed in its original box and graded at an 85, Branton's example was one of the nicer ones to surface in the past decade, and a collector paid up to win it, purchasing it for more than $7,000. The Power of the Force yak face that was on display at the Hakes booth seemed to be another one that landed at a very fair price. Graded at an 85 and valued in the $20,000 range today, Branton's yak face sold for $7,800.
When reviewing the Hakes 222 auction in the days after it concluded, most collectors felt the prices realized were largely at or above fair market value in 2017. And in some cases, way above fair market value. But as with any Star Wars auction, there are always a few items that collectors seem to overlook at the time. And these turn out to be the value pickups that collectors appreciate. While there weren't many, there were a few worth mentioning. A sealed Collector's Series Dewback graded at an 85 sold for $389, including the buyer's premium. And two other desirable pieces sold for the exact same price. The first was a carded Empire Strikes Back 31B Leia Bespin figure graded at an 80, and with the original cardback photo that was changed for the 32-back version. The second was a 21-back A Star Wars Death Star droid, also graded at an 80. A carded Power of the Force Luke X-Wing figure graded at an 85, with 85 subgrades, sold at what certainly seems like a value price now. But even in 2017, picking up a high-grade example for $402 was a bargain. A sealed boxed Max Rebo band set from Return of the Jedi graded at an 80 sold for $285. But the best value item, and the one I'm still kicking myself for not picking up in 2017, was the sealed Bespin Freeze Chamber from the 1982 Micro Collection line. Graded at an impressive 85 and exhibiting very little corner wear, clear tape, and no price stickers, Branton's example was a beautiful one. And the total cost for this rare sealed high-grade playset, including the buyer's premium, came out to $188.22. Hakes ended 2017 on a record-breaking note. According to President Alex Winter, the November auction was the highest-grossing individual sale for the company in its 50 years of operation. And it helped to make 2017 Hakes' most successful year as well. As a whole, auction number 222 pulled in $1,754,464 in sales, including the 18% buyer's premium. And Star Wars memorabilia made a substantial impact, as the sales of Russell Branton's 61 pieces accounted for 16% of the entire auction's grand total. These first items offered from Branton's collection pulled in $280,000. Of the top 10 highest-selling items in the catalog, three were Star Wars pieces. And of the top 50, Star Wars registered 11 equating to being slightly more than one-fifth of the list. In the months after the auction, Alex Winter sat down for an interview with the collecting website The Hot Bid. When asked about the effect the Russell Branton collection could have on the Star Wars market, Winter answered, I think it's going to change in a positive way. The value is going to go up. We have 6, 8, 10, 12 bidders on any given piece, and 4 or 5 can be at a very high level. Star Wars has a deep, passionate field of collectors, and they have the funds to take action figures to a level not thought of a decade ago. The 
Russell Branton was very pleased with the performance of his items at Hake's. He admitted that going into this first auction, he was far less concerned with how the higher-ticketed and more notable pieces would fare. After all, he knew Hakes would promote them, and they would find an audience among a feverish group of bidders. Instead, he worried that some of the standard action figures, the ones from The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, would be overlooked by collectors. But to Branton's delight, the anticipation around the auction ensured that most items sold at or above the estimated range. The November auction would be the first of many toting Branton's collection over the next two years. And for Branton, it was a reassuring confirmation that he had chosen the proper outlet to sell his collection. Still, as he noted in his conversation with Overstreet, the experience was a bittersweet one. On one hand, he was happy with the results, and was genuinely excited to know that these items, which sat in boxes for a year at his home, would make their way into the homes of others, to be proudly displayed in collections by Star Wars fans who would appreciate owning them. On the other hand, letting go can be difficult. And for Branton, the sale of his collection signified an official end of this journey, one that had defined a decade of his life. But in so many ways, the journey had been much larger. Star Wars had been with him for decades. His earliest memories of the movies and the toys were connected to the handful of years he had with his brother before his untimely passing. And I believe that one of the reasons Brandt had wanted to complete a full Kenner run of the toys as an adult was to finish something started with his brother. That somewhere inside of Branton was a yearning to carry the torch first lit by their shared love for the action figures. He aimed to get every toy he and his brother had and never had. And once he accomplished his mission, and with his own children being less interested in the franchise, it was time for Branton to move on to his next adventure. Reflecting on the experience, Branton said, I'll always have those memories. Completing the collection, and you have it for years, you start thinking, what should I do with this? Because I've had it in the room. I've looked at them long enough. I've enjoyed them. I've truly enjoyed them. I think it was important to let other people who want to enjoy them, enjoy them. A little sad, but more happy than sad, for sure. auction of the Russell Branton collection has had a years-long effect on collecting Star Wars memorabilia, and has impacted a larger audience beyond those within the Star Wars community. The quality, desirability, and rarity of Branton's figures and pieces made the collection stand out in a time where Star Wars collecting experienced a revival and a renaissance. It caused a major auction house like Hakes to take the collection seriously enough to promote it heavily to the collecting world in 2017. And Star Wars has been a staple of every catalog auction since, earning its own section and its place among Americana's vast history. And the selling of the Russell Branton collection arguably has had more of an impact than any other Star Wars toy auction. 
and a lot of this is due to Hake's strategy. By segmenting the collection into a series of six auctions over two years, the Branton name became synonymous with quality. Many of the items were of the highest caliber, and the fact that they were graded, and in some cases authenticated by a third-party expert, encouraged even the most casual and uninformed Star Wars fans to bid. The Hakes auctions quickly morphed into events for Star Wars collectors. Discussions around the pieces and the prices filled the feeds on social media in the weeks leading up, and in the days following. The scope and breadth of Branton's collection gave fans a chance to add new and needed figures to their respective foci or runs. And the auctions presented toys that hadn't surfaced for years, as they had been locked away in Branton's displays. For those who were not part of the community, or who didn't have the time or interest to pursue pieces on sites like Facebook and eBay, a Hakes catalog was a welcomed arrival. The catalogs were like the department store Christmas wish books from decades ago, and those with deeper pockets now had an opportunity to bring home desired Star Wars items without having to hunt. For an entirely different group of collectors, these rare and high-grade action figures became investment pieces. Some found acquiring them to be more exciting than storing precious metals or adding mutual funds to a portfolio. Regardless of what type of collector flipped through the catalog, with hundreds of millions of toys sold during the Kenner years, Star Wars toys were familiar pieces to fans of every level. And each auction kept the excitement burning with its share of attention-demanding prototypes and production examples. Each also had its share of record breakers and high-dollar sales, which kept both Hakes and Star Wars collectibles in the public eye and the recurrence and performance of the Russell Branton-related auctions proved that the success of Star Wars memorabilia was sustainable and was here for the long term. If Heritage Auctions is known for its comic art sales and prop stores the premier prop dealer, the Russell Branton auctions solidified Hake's reputation as the place to buy and sell high-end Star Wars toy collectibles. Additional thoughts. Over the years, the Star Wars collecting community has had a love-hate relationship with auction houses like Hakes. While the company has made some incredibly rare and special items available to the general public, at the end of the day, the mission of any auction house is to make money. And one does so by generating enough buzz about an auction in the hopes of landing the highest bids possible. After all, the 18% buyer's premium is the moneymaker for Hakes. And in addition to generating higher revenue, the successful auctions draw more consigners for future auctions, which brings in more sales and more buyers' premiums, and the cycle continues. The hype around the auctions have amplified what has generally been a quieter and slow-growing collecting community. And it opened the world of Star Wars collectibles to a new level of investors and speculators, disrupting the experience for many established collectors. In some ways, the activity went from being contained in a larger neighborhood to expanding to the surrounding towns and cities. And at times, it felt more like a game or a stock market than a hobby as a result. 
and many in the community have argued that a hammer price for a Hake's piece can often artificially inflate prices that may not exist anywhere else but at a place like Hake's. In many ways, the collecting community understands the current market better than the casual collector, whose only exposure to Star Wars collectibles is through the catalog. In August of 2018, the carded AFA-95 Luke Skywalker and the AFA-95 Princess Leia reappeared in a different online auction, this time selling through Heritage Auctions. If you recall, the AFA-95 Luke was the highest-graded example in existence and sold at Hakes for $50,000, less than a year earlier. The Princess Leia was also the highest-graded example and sold in the March 2018 auction for $29,500. At the time of these sales, collectors were shocked and honestly baffled by these extreme prices for what had been common carded figures. They repeatedly questioned whether the grade realistically would boost the price by a factor of 10. And with the new data from the Heritage Auction, they had their answer. It was rumored that an overseas collector scooped up the Luke and Leia in the Hakes Auction as an investment. And either being spooked by the poor reception of The Last Jedi and the poor performance of the standalone solo film that spring, or anticipating new record-breaking sales in 2018, the new owner hastily submitted the figures in the Heritage Auction. That August, the Luke sold for $28,800, almost $22,000 less than the owner paid for it nine months earlier. And the Leia sold for $19,200 for a $10,000 loss. These prices may have been a bit inflated for the era as well, but they highlighted how anticipation and a frenzied bidding could lead to a massive overpay. The 2018 auction appears to be the last time the figures publicly changed hands. It would have been interesting to see how each would have performed a few years later, during the pandemic era when Star Wars collectibles skyrocketed to new heights. Would someone have paid $50,000 or more once again to bring home an AFA-95 Luke? However, as I mentioned earlier with the Anakin hardcopy, many of the pieces in Russell Branton's collection have appreciated in value in the years following the auctions. The rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype, which also sold at the March 2018 auction for $86,000, became the rare piece that many viewed as the pinnacle of Star Wars collectibles. Its history reached legend levels, and it represented a version of the beloved character that nobody owned during those Kenner years. Its value has appreciated wildly, reaching a Hakes record in June of 2022, with a similar example selling for $236,000. The next one to sell at Hakes occurred a month later, but for $100,000 less, signaling the wild pandemic era of collecting was coming to a close. Earlier today, I realized I own a carded figure from the Russell Branton collection. Over the years, I've acquired pieces to complete a 1985 droids run. And when Branton's AFA-85 Kez Ivan popped up in the July 2018 auction, I placed a bid at $200. I didn't think I'd win it at that price. The blaster alone was worth $200 at the time. But I entered the bid as a place marker, so I wouldn't forget to check it leading up to the auction's end. Except I completely forgot about it. 
And the next morning, I woke up to an email telling me that I had placed the winning bid at $187. With the buyer's premium, it came out to just under $230. The Kez Ibin has been with me ever since. And after covering the history of the November 2017 auction and its impact on Star Wars collecting, I'm happy to own a piece from Russell Branton's collection. The years from the release of The Force Awakens in 2015 to the rise of Skywalker in 2019 blessed me with fond and exciting collecting memories, and I'm so thankful to have been a Star Wars fan during that era. I remember the conversations I had with our friends and fellow collectors around the different Hakes auctions, and I learned so much about the hobby through them. The arrival of the latest catalog was always exciting, and I spent many hours on the phone with friends, flipping through the pages and discussing the items and their estimates. I'd like to say a quick thank you to Danny Katzel for sending me a copy of Russell's interview with the Overstreet Guide, as it was truly helpful in understanding his journey and how he had acquired such a storied collection. And thank you to Jonathan Robinson for offering to send me a copy as well. This episode was such an enjoyable experience. I'm sure many of us are familiar with Hakes and with the Russell Branton collection. But heading into the weekend, I realized that for as many times as I've read his name next to the auction listings, I didn't know his story. And as the years have passed, it's become clearer that the auctions bearing the items from his collection had massively impacted the hobby in a number of ways. Finally, Russell, if you ever hear this, congratulations on putting together an incredible assortment of some of the most special toys and prototypes in the galaxy. And as always, there's so much more ahead of us, and so much more to explore, on Star Wars Prototypes and Production.